Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, we are on marriage series, part three. Praise the Lord. I want to preach a sermon on um, the divisions that happen within the households. Homes, a divided house. What is a divided house? And I'm going to open a very deep revelation for you today that is going to change a lot on what you thought was a divided house. Of course, in the gospel, St. Matthew, the third chapter, the 25th verse, the Bible says that if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. See? Now, of course, there are various degrees or dimensions to this division. There is that which is usual. This man had a quarrel with his wife yesterday and then, you know, leave me alone. And then they throw words at each other. The proverbio rancor. They are fighting. Why do you talk to me this way? Why do you answer me that way? Or you, who do you think you are? You think you're this kind. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that causes divisions. It has its wars. It has its place. And that can easily be identified. Because you see the physical experience. Oh, I had my neighbors quarreling. Oh, I had that my neighbor beat up his wife. Oh, I had that this person was fighting. Yeah, it's a divided house. Oh, these children are fighting with their father or the father is fighting with his son. Yeah, yeah, it's a divided house. Let's go back to the issue of marriage, okay? The direct ones that you read about in tabloids, newspapers, gossip columns, yeah? those ones, yeah, there are divisions to that level and some of them are communication issues, some of them are foundational issues. There's many things that come to that. And that's division too. But many times, many of those divisions that we see are as a result of very deeply seated contentions. There are deeper issues. What you see between people quarreling with each other is just surface. There are deeper issues that sometimes even the two people who are quarreling with each other, don't even understand, cannot even interpret or pinpoint and say this is the cause. Sometimes they say, oh, this is the cause, but it's actually not the cause and they don't even know that it's not the cause. You see? But that aside, there's also a deeper division. It is hidden, okay? Because usually Satan loves to work underground. He loves to come hidden under some picture that cannot be directly interpreted with the very things that he plans to do. I'll give you an example. The Bible tells us, we have all read, that no marvel, Saturn is transformed as an angel of light. 
So it's in the nature of Satan not to appear like that little demon. Some of you watched on cartoons, red first thing with fangs and some horns and then a fork. Eh? And then he's telling this person, kill him, kill him, kill him. And then there's this angel on the side saying, don't do it, don't do it, Derek. Kill him, I say, kill him. You see? It's the cartoons that we watched, the movies that we watched. But the Bible says that no marvel, Satan is transformed as an angel of light. So he wants to appear in the most right meaning full ways. Most right meaning transactions. Most well meaning heart. And an example is given one day when Peter is with Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And Jesus tells them, you know, the time is come where the son of man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. The elders, the chief priests, and I believe that I'll be killed there. Ha! The Bible says Peter took him aside and rebuked him. and said, how dare you tell us that they're going to kill you. When they're trying to kill you, what do you think we shall do? And Peter meant it. You remember that time when they came to touch Jesus? What did he do? Cut off a man's ear. So the guy meant it. He says, uh-uh, how can they touch you when I'm here? God forbid. How can you even say they're going to kill you? Don't even talk. You're confessing negatively, Jesus. Then the Bible says, Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou severest not the things of God, but the things that be of men. Or simpler English, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me because you cannot interpret the things of God, but only the things of men. That means you understand this only from a human perspective. You don't have the clear perspective of God on this matter. And whatever it was, Jesus called it offense. He says you're offending the spirit of truth by wanting to cancel or fight against what God has intended from the beginning of the ages. Who ever knew that a demon spirit was sitting on a man who meant well? This man loved Jesus. He meant well. This was his gango, as the younger generation calls it. His close friend. He's everything. If you die now, what are we to do? We were fishermen. Then you called us from that and told us to preach the gospel. And now you're telling us you're going to die. Our leader. Ah, 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 ah. You cannot say that. It's only through the work of the Christ, as he speaks over this man, we discover that a demon spirit was actually on Peter and it was speaking through him. And Jesus could desire it and he said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense. You understand not the things of God, but the things that be of men. This is a typical example in scripture where the most well-meaning individual was actually speaking under the influence of Satan. Is that the last time it's going to happen? No. Is that the last time it happened? No. So you must also understand that even in the most well-meaning narratives, most well-intended heart, Satan can actually speak through your spouse and destroy you. Now, that's the hardest one. It's like an insidious disease. You know those diseases, they say that he died the next day. But he was okay that whole week. 
even the day before he was okay. Then the doctors tell you, uh-uh, there was a disease inside there, eating the guy up, but nobody knew. Slowly killing, it's hidden. You can't feel it, but you're dying. Now that's when it's hard to diagnose. For some, when the diagnosis comes through, it's late. Oh, they tell you, you know, you have full-blown this disease. And there's not much that we can do medically, so you have to endure through and, yeah, any day now. You see, it's hidden. I'm trying to teach more deeply on what is hidden. Like I said, there are open things of quarrels and misunderstandings, and, you know, rantings. No, 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 those are obvious. What about the hidden ones that you cannot see? that you cannot explain because they're closed in love. They're hidden in well-meaning intentions. The person didn't intend to destroy. But somehow Satan came to destroy this house by bringing something in love that meant right, perhaps was for support, was for the good of the household. But at the end of the day, it divided the house. How do we deal with such a thing? Typical example. Let me give you a simple story to help you understand what I'm saying. Some of us know the story of Esther. Book of Esther. Those of us who have not read, I'll give you a little sneak into this narrative. We have a king, Ahasuerus. He has a lady called Vashti. And Vashti uh, disobeys the king one day. He is doing a feast and then he calls her out to come and display her beauty. And then she refuses. The king is offended. And then he calls his wise men. What should I do? And Memukan tells him, this the queen has begun to do. She has sowed a seed in the kingdom. And every woman who shall hear of this will rebel against their husbands. That's a deep thought, especially women who are married to leaders, kings, pastors' wives, cultural leaders, at whichever angle. But when God has put a woman first ahead of many, it means that there's a spirit that could work on your life and multiply on all of those who are under you by reason of the fact that they are under you. Wow. So that's what this man is telling him. That what the queen has done, if all women hear this, they will despise their husbands in their eyes. They will despise their husbands in their eyes because the queen did it. You see, as leaders, there's something I could do and it would destroy many of you. You see? So you must understand it at whatever angle you're going to discuss this. If you are a leader of some sort, you should know that the anointing on you is not only for yourself it has a ripple effect on all of those who are under you. So, to kill the spirit of rebellion, the king had to let go of Vashti to save all the households of the kingdom. Isn't that deep? Anyway, fast forward. The king now needs to find another bride and then we go through the process. And in there is a fair young lady called who? Esther. Some of you know the process. Eventually, he marries Esther. When he marries Esther, there's also another man brought into this conversation. This man is called Haman. Haman was the king's man. He was loyal. He was a good man. He served his king. 
he loved his king. And during that time, the king sought to exalt him. And, you know, the king exalted him and gave him a very special position. He was promoted. He was set above all the princes that were with him. So Haman has a very special place. And then the king commands every man to bow and honor. Who? Haman. But, as every man does it, there is one fellow called Mordecai, the uncle of Esther. He refuses to bow to Haman. E, why is Mordecai rebellious? There is an old battle there. If you read out the Bible, you will know that the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob have stayed enemies up to present day. And if you read the lineage of Mordecai, it will take you to the descendants of Jacob. If you read the lineage of Haman, it will take you, remember the Bible says he was an Agagite, of the descendants of the Agagites. And that's the king Agag, which was the last king of the Amalekites. And Amalek was the grandson of Esau. So you see? And that lineage continues, even in the New Testament. You see, Herod is looking to kill Jesus and you see Joseph from the household where Jesus comes from is of the lineage of Isaac, Jacob and that lineage and Herod is a direct descendant of Esau. So some battles are old. Some of you might say, why is Ukraine fighting with Russia? And probably their war woo, 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 is many centuries old. And some of those answers for reconciliation are not going to come through a political narrative. They're going to come through prayer. Those are brothers. Ukrainians, Russians, they're brothers. There has to be something. You have to study history to understand that that war can only end when men learn to pray and pray the right way. You see what I'm saying? So this was an old war. So the seed in Mordecai, for some reason, we cannot tell whether Mordecai knew that story or not. Mordecai, the seed of Jacob, would not bow to the seed of Esau because it was prophesied that the older shall always serve the younger. You follow? So, he refuses to bow. That's not what's written in this narrative, but when you go through texts, you can now connect to why he refuses. So, I don't want you to think that Mordecai was just a rebellious citizen. You understand what I'm saying? So, this Haman man gets an idea and he says, hmm, what can I do? He goes to the king and gives him a conversation. He says, you know, king, there's a group of people they are Mangas, group of tribes of people, small little tribe actually, one tribe of people. These people are scattered, they're dispersed, they have diverse laws, they don't keep your laws, they don't add anything to the kingdom, they are rebellious group. And I think we should plan to kill them because they are also going to bath what? Rebellion. Hmm. Not only does Haman say that, he even proposes and says, I'm even going to contribute so the kingdom doesn't need to pay money. I mean, king, me anything that touches you touches me. Are you following? And if you follow, they were to be killed within the space of a year. And Haman, you know, looked at a time where it was actually a feast, perhaps purim, which in present day would be about 7th March, I think and says, let us put it at that time such that 
on the day of the feast, we kill all of them. He wanted it to be so spectacular. But here's the challenge. One man, this one fellow, has a problem with Mordecai, but he wants the whole race to be destroyed. You see, again, the spirit at work within him is not only after one man. It has found offense in one man, but he wants to kill the whole what? Tribe of people. So you see that this is a deeper war. Anyway, we know the story of Esther. It's important to take you through because some of you, I don't assume you know. So you see Esther comes in as a queen. Mordecai tells her they get into fasting and then when they're fasting and praying against this decree, Esther tells them, you know, I'm also doing my part here. I'll find a way to fix this. My people shouldn't die. She took responsibility. And then one of those days, she calls for a feast. Some of us know. She calls for a feast in Esther chapter 5. She's telling the king, verses 8, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said. And then went Haman forth that day, joyful with a glad heart. Haman went forth that day, joyful with a glad heart. Okay? But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, Mordecai is at the gate, you know, lamenting, crying, weeping, but it won't be let in because even the way he was dressed would not allow him to come in. There was a rule in the kingdom of how a man who should meet the king should be dressed. And even the dressing on Mordecai could not meet the standards of meeting the king. Yeah, why do you think, Joseph, why do you think he had to shave his beard? Some of you don't even understand how to stand before greatness. You're going to stand before a deal that could change your life and then you go... Anyway, back to the story. So, when he comes to the gate, remember this guy has been honored. Everyone who meets him is... Again, he meets who? Mordecai at the king's gate. And then he stood not up, nor moved for him. And he was full of indignation against Mordecai. You know, he comes like that. And then he sees Mordecai. And then Mordecai does nothing. He stays watching, doing his business. And this guy's like, how dare you? How dare you? So, he goes back home. Verses 10 says he refrained himself, so there's nothing he did physically. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Called his wise men and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced above the princes and servants of the king. You know those people who are boastful, they drop names, eh? You take somebody out for lunch and then he starts to tell you, you know, I won an award in this and uh, I'm friends to the president of Syria. I'm friends to Barack Obama. Oh, your friends Barack Obama? Oh, no, come on. That guy, play golf with him every day. You know. Small thing. Everyone was telling him I didn't agree with his previous policies. Oh, you're that close? Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Michelle sent me a video last evening. She was telling you know, <laughs> you know people like that. Eh? Haman loved the likes. There is nothing that I find fascinating, you know, like people like that. I had a friend once, this is how he began his conversation. You know, I was talking to the president recently and, uh, <laughs> do you know, like somebody saying, I was talking to the president recently and the light goes on, Beep! no, he's lying. Of course, the Holy Spirit is telling you that and they're like, 
Like, how does this game play with my brain? But then you're acting. Yeah, and um, I told him that, uh, you know, we should do this, you know. So, have you met the president? If not, uh, we'll talk about it, you know. So, basically, and... Um, <laughs> Sometimes you just need to make the point. You don't need to drop the name. Uh, another day I was in this meeting, and then there was this wonderful minister who wanted to show us that he was heavily what? Connected. He says, recently, and then he spoke a very strong name in this nation, so-and-so called me and said, what's wrong with the church? <laughs> you know, I was before, what's wrong with the church? And I told him, don't worry, we're working in it. Now, so they're meant to instill fear in you, eh? That actually the person you actually seated in front, he could actually change your destiny now. What kills me is when such a guy, after dropping all of those names, I know so and so, I know so and so, and then after that, the guy tells you, money. But do you have a hundred thousand? Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, bruh, you know all those people and you're broke. Okay, in your heart. <laughs> Somebody's out fire. So, Haman loved the lights. He loved the connections. That's why when he's invited, yeah, he drops his lines. You see, being invited, me and the king, uh, you know, verses 12. He says, Haman said, moreover, yet the Esther, the queen, did let no man come in with a king unto the banquet that she has prepared but myself. And tomorrow I'm invited to meet the king. They've invited us. You know? And listen to the spirit work on this man. Yet all this availeth me nothing. This is Haman speaking. As long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. You can see how, even with the doors God has opened on this man, the grace God has given him, he can lose it all for the vengeance against one Jew. Do you think that's normal? No. There's a spirit at work. Somebody shout fire. And then the Bible tells us, then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said unto him. Now I want you to understand that the Bible is written in a certain sort of order. God is not the author of confusion. So no word is misplaced misaligned. Everything is spoken with a spiritual order. And I want you to follow the order. The order says, Zeresh, his wife, comma, and all his friends said unto him. So who said really? Answer me, who said really? Yes. So the word there, and all his friends, it means he was supported by the people that were called. She tells her husband, let a gallow be made of 50 cubits high. She even has the cubits in her head. And tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hung thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman and he caused the gallows to be made. Immediately told guys, make gallows. 50 cubits high. You see, where did that advice come from? Zeresh, his wife. Did she love her husband? Yes. She loved her husband. She loved her husband. And then, the scriptures next tell us, that very night, the king lost sleep. God is now doing something. The king lost what? Sleep. And when the king loses sleep, 
he commands his people to bring the records of the chronicles that they might read before him. Read for me my stories, the things that have happened in the kingdom. And on in there, as this, you know, uh, servant of his is reading, they get to a point where it is written of Mordecai who had told or he had reported two guys, which were the king's chamberlains, Bigoth and Teresh, they had planned to kill the king. They were keepers of the door and then somebody was using them to kill the king. And it landed in the ears of Mordecai and then Mordecai reported to the king and these men were saved. And it now comes to the king's mind, oh my goodness, this guy was not rewarded. Who honored this guy for saving my life? I think now the picture comes, he sees himself dead and then he's like, okay, I could have actually died. See what God is doing. When one household has already planned something destructive, true to form, the king says, I think I should honor this guy. In the evening where Haman has ordered the building of gallows, he's going to take a proposal. So it seems as though that day he was in the court's alley because he wanted to execute that so that by the time the party comes, Mordecai is what? He's dead. And then the king said, who is in the courts? Who is around? They say, oh, Haman is in the outward courts of the king. Call him. And when they called Haman in, the king asked Haman, what would I do to celebrate? What will I do to express my delight and honor to a man who has done me well? And the scriptures tell us, now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to honor more than myself? So Haman senses eh, that there is a new promotion coming up quicker than he expected it. So he thinks the king is asking for Haman's sake. He said, Haman. So now Haman starts to make his recommendations for the king to honor a certain man. These are the things I think you can do. Let the royal apparel be brought, which the king uses to wear. Get that thing to put on. And what? And get it? And the horse that the king rides, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the king's most noble princess, that they may array the man with whom the king delighted to honor, bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor. So, painfully, Esther 610, the king says, do this to Mordecai. Make haste the apparel, the horse, and go and look for Mordecai the Jew that sits at the king's gate and let nothing fail of all you have spoken. Like, make sure you do all you have spoken. And so, you can imagine Haman. <laughs> you can imagine Haman. He does what the king requires. And the Bible says in verses 12, Esther chapter 6, verses 12, then Mordecai came again to the king's gate and Haman hastened to his house mourning and having his head covered 
Mordecai hasn't left the issue. They're going to kill my people. After celebrating me, I'm back at the gate. I have an issue. Okay? So Haman hastened to his house, mourning and having his head covered. Then Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened. Now listen. Then the wise men, I'm reading the Amplified, and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, now who has spoken this time? Who is supporting it? Thank you. They say to him that if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the offspring of the Jews, you cannot prevail against him. Thou shalt surely fall as a stern one. A stunning one. If the guy you're seeking to kill is Jew, if the guy you're falling before is Jew, you cannot prevail against him and you shall surely fall before him. Now we say, the wise men, and then Zeresh to honey, it's true. They had left a very important fact. The first time when he narrated Mordecai, he didn't emphasize that he was dealing with a Jew, yet he knew that he was a Jew. And Zeresh, to agree with that, perhaps even Zeresh knew that you cannot fight a Jew, but she didn't have that information because he was not inspired in her soul to pick it. Are you following the story? So this is the advice that comes later. Anyway, long and short, the party happens. I'm going to run quickly into the seventh chapter. And then it is later revealed to the king that Haman was using this to kill all the Jews. And that would also include who? Esther. The king cannot go against his decree. And then the king is what? He's annoyed. And to pacify his anger, the Bible says he got Haman and hung him on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. The king discovered that the gallows that were already built, he said, aha, uh -huh, take him on those very gallows and hang him. Who got the inspiration on how Haman was to be killed? Now, those of you who are mature, how do you process that? Those of you who are thinking what I'm thinking. What do you think the implication of such an experience. And what are we to do if Satan can stillfully come through your own person who you love so much and in an expression of love hang you? Do you know how many people in the world are not living their purpose in the world because of the person they're married to? And this person did not intend to destroy or do anything to break their course. It came in the name of love. If you check their heart, they meant right. But in there, the devil came, hidden in a narrative. For some of you, these very marriages could destroy your destiny unless God does something. Could divide you deeply than just the wars that you have, the diatribes that you have in your relationship. Because the deeper division is spiritual. And sometimes it's not the divisions between us Sometimes it's the things that we are separated from or set against. And some of these things are the very reason or purpose for which we are created. But not many people understand that, especially when you have not yet found purpose. 
when you think life is as straightforward and pragmatically interpreted as you grow up, you fall in love and have children and then grow old and then you die. Listen, if that's the mindset Joseph and Mary had, if they did not know that they were raising a boy in there that was going to save the world, then it would have been a very catastrophic thought. God had to prepare this woman early to tell her you're not just going to carry an ordinary child. God had to prepare Joseph early to know he's not just marrying an ordinary woman and he's not raising an ordinary boy. You see, purpose. I'm trying to talk about purpose here. I'm trying to talk about purpose here. That Satan can divide and has divided people in notions that they don't even have an idea to interpret. They don't even know that some of the simple decisions that we could do in love could actually be the most costly ones concerning our destinies. We did not get married to kill the dream of God on our lives. We got married or we get married to serve God better and fulfill what he has placed on our lives. And sometimes those little small things can bring the bigger wars that people are dealing with. But if you study intricately as a man of the spirit, you will discover it was a deeper thing and it began in love, done in love with the right meaning. It's like some of the parents I feel sorry for. Okay? You find a parent who tells you, oh, you know, uh, there's an overnight here, but you know my child is young. I'm not going to take him for a service. Then you ask this woman, how old is your boy? Oh, my son is 12. He's still too young to go for an overnight. And I'm looking at this woman and I'm thinking, hmm, Hmm. <laughs> wow. So you think you're loving your child enough by leaving them at home to sleep and not taking them in the present? You're spoiling them. You're spoiling them. You are spoiling them. But it was done in the expression of love. Oh no. She's tired. She's sick. Let her sleep. Let her sleep at church. Bring her here. If she goes out because she was tired, hold her and let her sleep in the church. You see what I'm saying? And then tomorrow your kid gets on drugs or cocaine and then you start blaming the devil. Fire, leave my son. You understand? But you don't know. You don't understand the seriousness. Some of us are pastors, for example. I think because we are pastors, we have no choice. Our children have been attending overnights since they were born. So they have no choice. And they're growing. They're growing. Do they lose anything? You understand what I'm saying? Oh no, it's love. If the boy doesn't want to go to church, don't force him. Leave my son. <laughs> In whose house? You're joking. Some of us, we are so dead. As long as you live in my house, you have to pray. When you're mature to vote, you can make your decisions. For now, I'm voting for you. Hallelujah. If it is time for prayer, you pray. My goodness. That is the gospel. That's why you're raising children with no backbone. They can't even sleep in their own houses. They, they can't even sleep without the light. They have the Holy Spirit, but they need buckets because if they go out, they fear that some demon might come behind them and tell them, whoa. <laughs> because you're raising them wrong. Come on, we have to grow some thick skin in our generation. Especially you dot-com parents. You must teach your children the hard way. If we are praying, we are what? 
praying. If you're mature to this age, okay. If you're eight, at least fast to 10 a.m. Fast to midday. I know this might not be popular. Oh, this is so insensitive. This guy is talking about children. What do you mean? Can't you see what's happening in the world? Are you seeing that we're losing people every day? Our kids are getting wasted. The world is taking them at a speed beyond what we can calculate. Because some of us, we are loving them right. No, that's not love. You're spoiling them. You're spoiling them. You're spoiling them. So it is that sometimes Satan can come through love and divide you. And later some things now, unfortunately with Zeresh and Haman's story, death took place. Death took place. A man died. A man died because of the inspiration of a woman's idea, his wife. And much as in this narrative we're using Zeresh, huh? there are also male versions of Zeresh. I don't know what you'd call them. Probably shorter Zeres and Zereshis. Whatever you choose. Are you following what I'm saying? And guess what? The Hebrew word Zeresh means misery. Means strange. Means a dispasser of inheritance. So that means she was appointed in the spirit from day one to be that. And Haman thought he had married gold. You see what I'm saying? So, warning to especially those of you who are not yet married. Don't just see a girl and say, Natalia, you are my wife. I tell you these days you have these common sayings. Eh? Me as long as she's in Fanero. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ask me, the pastor. Even me, there are those ones who are here, but I fear them. Hey, a young man comes and says, I saw this one, and I said, tread slowly, speak in tongues, go on the mountain. If you're smart enough to figure it out, you're saved. If you're not smart enough, you go. Shout fire! You must understand who you marry spiritually. How are they named spiritually? Oh, that's a deep one. Because with name comes the identity and the essence of a person's character. Go study the meaning of Delilah. You'll understand why that dear man lost his eyes. So sometimes it's not just the physical name. Some people are named angel, but... There's another name spiritually. Oh yeah, I found the guy in Fanero. So what? What if the guy came to just what? Fish. Yeah, he came fishing. He parked there, waited for you. You came out and he says, oh my goodness, I've enjoyed this someone. <gasps> this is my church. Apostle Grace is my spiritual father. <laughs> the guy is what? He's fishing. And because you're not spiritual, he comes to Fanero. So what? And then they marry you. And now this is the hardest one because some of you might not understand. If you're not married, this is funny. But if you're married and you're in this situation, this is the most painful thing. That moment where the proposal came in, 
the pictures were flashed. You put it on Facebook. I had to say yes. And then, you know, everyone congratulated you. Banangi Rose, whoever knew. Not real names, just using, you know, hypothetical names. And then your friends come along. And then you announce it to your family. And then your old mother with her sick legs starts dancing. And then your friends start congratulating you. And then you always have that extra friend who always cries at everything. And now they cry. And by the way, allow me, allow me to rebuke some of our Ugandan girls. Ugandan women don't cry like that. The word is idiosyncrasy. Draw your own kamak. Be imitated. Don't be an imitator of a fallen world. Anyway, back to what I was trying to say. I'm thinking that awkward moment where, you know, your friends congratulated you and then, you know, then you had the naysayers, that auntie who said you'll never get married. Eh? So even the day you announced it, there's that thing jumping in your head. Yes, yes, finally. Yes, yes, Timurumi. You understand? Let them hang on a tomato tree. You're excited. You know, and all those days come. People contribute. You take your pictures. You know, and everything is okay. And then you get married. It's the best wedding. It was on the beach. It was by the lake. They gave you a lot of money. You know, you have this rich family. Things have worked out right. And then Sunday morning, you come back to church. You raise the very rings. He has the ring is the one you put up so that everyone there knows, hey guys, I'm not in your level anymore. One month down the road, the intricacies of commitment start questioning you or you questioning them. The discombobulating experiences of familiarity start coming in. <laughs> you get used to each other. Infatuation melts. You start doing life. Three months, four months, five. You wake up and realize, oh, oh, this guy was not what he said he was. Or oh, this woman was not that girl who they always took pictures of in Fanero, getting slain. There was another thing behind you didn't know. Then you imagine now, okay, if I come out of this thing, then you see me in your dream as Apostle Grace, and then you see Apostle Grace, that he was there on the wedding. And you say, ha! Oh! You turn the eye there. Then you think of your parents, and you think of your friends, and you think of everything, and it just comes back in this and hits you like a tsunami. And then you realize, okay, this is my cross that I have to carry. Just a few months in, if there was a prayer that you needed, was to come out by somehow not messing up your commitment and vows. Hey, do you know what that prayer looks like? Anyway, so you go for counseling, and when you enter that kind of zone, you learn to pray. Now, both men or women, you discover you married something. Mama, you learn to pray. So, 
Ay, 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 Come for prayers. I will join hands and pray with you. And let's believe God. But, if you're not yet entered, the lesson is, don't just enter marriage. Pray about it. Pray about it. It doesn't matter whether you get a thousand confirmations. Wait for them until you have all of them. But don't just enter something. To wake up three weeks after and realize you messed it up. Because some of them if they come out prematurely, some of them even walk out of salvation. They lose interest because they don't want to be judged by the church, so they stay out. No, 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 no. If you're that kind, come back to church and pray. I'll separate your issues of marriage and your presence. Just come in the presence seat. God will sort the rest. Are you following what I'm saying? Job's wife. Do you think she didn't love her husband? She did. One day she sees a troubled man struggling. His children are dead. He's lost everything. The glory in his life has decimated. And she says, you know what, honey? Judge God and die. Because even I hate to see you that way. She meant right. But there was another spirit speaking. And that spirit wanted to divide them. Unfortunately, death also. Death also. So sometimes, even untimely deaths within marriages just don't happen. Let the mature figure that out. Then Job tells her, you speak as one of the foolish women. You speak as one of the foolish women. But you see, there's a revelation there. Job didn't say, you're a foolish woman. Because no man should pronounce such words to their wife. You can say you acted like this or you are speaking like this but you cannot tell her you are it. That's a seed you've planted. And you're going to beget foolishness in the house. This woman will start getting disconnected to everything you know to be true. Yet probably it was your planting, your words. So you be careful even when you're angry. Second lesson. Why didn't God judge Zeresh? Why did Haman die instead? Because every man should understand their place in marriage. When Eve ate the forbidden fruit and gave her husband, who did God come looking for? Adam. At the restoration of Job, God tells him, pray for your friends that I may restore you. How come he never included and your wife also? Because you see, some of us men should understand that the judgments over our households come to us first, even when the weakness is on the wife. Your wife's weakness is yours. That's a hard one, but it's true. So instead of just pointing, try also to help her through wisdom. Try to help her. Instruct. Teach. That's why you're not just husband, you're guardian. You're in charge to undergird her. You see what I'm saying? Because as is the deception to Eve, Paul says the woman was deceived. As is that deception, again with the inner interpretation of the good part of this that she had the ability to see in the spirit 
what the serpent was speaking, if that energy is directed to truth, she might be able to see the things of God before you do. So her weakness is not in the deception only, but even deeper is her ability to see when you're not able to see. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that her candle does not burn out in the night. They see in the night. We are the sun, we see by the day. But God is telling you that when you marry this woman, there are things you're not going to be able to see. And you must admit it that you will not know everything 360. That's why you have to submit everything to your wife. I'm trying to do this. What do you feel? I'm trying to do this. What do you feel? You look at guys who plan without their wives. Ho, 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 ho. Chances are you have a list of losses. That's why some men, the moment they walk out of this and disobey the vow of God on their wives, many of them eventually start getting broke. Because these women come with a certain blessing. Are you following what I'm saying? How does somebody avoid such a thing? Or that by revelation, such things eh, cannot be seen by a usual eye. There must be something distinctive in precision of your vision to see and pick such instructions. And therefore, your good and learning. If such a thing has been revealed to you, what kind of prayer would you pray? Because such can only be fixed in the realm of prayer. In the realm of prayer. This can go with Nuta. Say by prayer. Not first prayer. Very clear instruction. These are not things that I'll give you 17 steps. The marriage altar. Like I'm going to help couples understand how to pray. Not just to pray together, but how to pray when you're praying together. It's important for you to understand fundamentally how your household should pray. Because we have couples here who don't pray together at all. They're unified in church. Give your neighbor a high five. That's the only time they give themselves a high five. But even the way it goes, it's like, are you following what I'm saying? So it's important. This thing that I've shared, only prayer can fix it. The fact that God has revealed it to you, it comes with the redemptive power and authority to fix a mark in your life. That if Satan ever comes on that gate to open it, there's a keeper, there's an angel of God appointed to undergird you that certain things will never come in the heart of your spouse or even yourself to divide you. So, allow me to pray over you. Is that okay? Father, I pray for these men and women that have heard this message tonight. In such sermons, we honestly cannot see a pattern beyond the prayer of submitting our hearts and the whole of everything we represent to you. When the time comes for us to settle in marriage or for those of us who are in marriage right now or for those of the parents who are praying for their own children who will get into this one day. That if the devil ever seeks to open a door to inspire our loved ones and hide himself in the name of love to destroy our purposes, to divide us spiritually, physically, emotionally, or otherwise. May an angel be sent forth in our future. May an angel be planted on every milestone of our destiny 
concerning our marriages to make sure that when that time comes, or if that time came, we'll have wisdom to discern the enemy. And like Jesus say, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou serest not the things of God, but the things that be of man. I pray in the name of Jesus, and may such things never happen to any man or woman at the sound of my voice. That our own will never be killed in the most insidious works of the enemy. That we will walk in wisdom and preserve what must be preserved by your strength, God. I pray for the most successful marriages, most influential people to influence others to get married or reconcile those that are broken. And that the world will look back and say that these men, these women knew God. And because they knew God, they had the most beautiful marriage we'd ever seen. In Jesus' name we have prayed and believed. Amen. Give the Lord a marinable praise. And I pray for those of you who are sick. I speak healing. 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 Healing of every manner of disease. Receive your healing now. Kidney, liver, intestines, heart. You're free in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive your Lordship. Change me. Transform me. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.